Hello everyone and welcome back to Chicks and Pits for our fourth installment in 2021. The motorsport season has finally and fully kicked off with so many championships well into the opening rounds and many talking points to discuss. Yeah, in fact, the third weekend of April saw MotoGP, Formula One, GT and endurance racing all out on track, basically at the same time. So let's get straight into the action without further ado. Yeah, honestly, the schedule, especially for the past weekend, Marty, has been so insane. I couldn't believe how many championships were like racing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. And I somehow managed to not see one single live session of anything. So yeah, Yeah, thank God we have like the week to to get on top of that. Yeah, yeah. we have some time for that. No, to be honest, um, yeah, no, I was on the road for basically the entirety of Sunday, um, as I frequently am the these times of the year. So um, yeah, it was very, very hard to follow through. But you know, we know we kind of managed. And to be honest, um the the action in the racing weekend was a lot like in all of the categories i feel like no race has effectively been boring this weekend this past weekend of course guys where you know you know when we are recording uh where we usually record um so yeah the past weekend basically saw for us the Imola GP and the three hours of Monza in the GT World Challenge and the four hours of Barcelona in the European Le Mans series. And there was MotoGP in uh, Portimao, I think, as well. So um, yeah, absolutely insane. Marty, what do you want to start with? I have no idea. Um, I think maybe like the, I don't know, the juiciest uh, race may have been Imola. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really was something right that, yeah, that was absolutely. a lot that happened like so many you know so many crashes too um it was crazy well it's Imola so <laughs> you're not actually so surprised when when you hear there have been I don't know 15 crashes uh during free practice but anyways yeah it's expected it's expected no to be honest like I gotta, I gotta be honest and say like Imola is a track that I adore but definitely not with like modern Formula One cars. Like I've never been a fan of Imola like in the past two years when I saw that it was reintroduced into the 2020 calendar last year. Of course, as an Italian, you know, you're happy about it. Like Imola is motorsport history for us, as it is, to be honest, for the rest of the world as well. But I I was kind of skeptical of how, what could have been achieved with modern Formula One cars. And honestly, I don't feel like I've been proven wrong in this instance, in the sense that the race was amazing, was definitely exciting. I mean, nobody can say otherwise, but if you think about like the actual racing, you know, removing all the contingent factors from it, like the rain and, you know, uh, the tires and whatever, like the racing in itself, was good because it was very packed having you know so many safety cars and even like a red flag restart the cars were all very close together but like i feel that you know taking all those factors aside the overtaking opportunities for modern formula one cars in imola are just not there yeah yeah it's such a narrow track and you know it's it's so easy to i don't know go into the gravel and and other stuff that 
in the end, the action that you actually see is more about contingent factors than actual racing, um, which is a bit disappointing, to be honest, especially at such an important track for motorsports in general. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Imola uh, from a certain point of view, but um, regarding that particular aspect, I don't think we've been proven wrong about this. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you think about it, there have been many very interesting duels on track, especially like in the, in, you know, the top spots, we've seen like Leclerc and Norris battling it out. And of course, with like Hamilton having to restart from P9, that was amazing action. Yeah. But if you think about it, they were all DRS overtakings. Like nobody was able to do anything without DRS, which, you know, it's not like I'm opposed to DRS. Honestly, there are many people, you know, having problems with DRS. I don't. But it's just that, you know, if you see that the main overtakes in a race that is already like this complicated, you know, with rains and safety cars and, you know, red flags. So it's supposed to be like super action packed and super tight. And still, in, if in the circumstances, the only, you know, overtakes actually taking the spot are DRS overtakes. There's a problem there, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. In fact, um, I don't have problems with DRS either, but, you know, it kind of becomes a problem when you know that the only possible spots for overtaking are within DRS zones, because at that point, you know that the overtakes are only going to take place right there. And, you know, it, it all becomes a bit predictable, a bit too predictable, in my opinion. Um, you know, with Imola being such a a narrow track and the cars being so freaking wide um it really becomes almost impossible i think to to try and overtake uh someone without a drs zone yeah honestly as you say like i wouldn't expect it anything different like i'm not complaining because i thought it was going to be better i'm not underwhelmed i'm just you know, simply stating like, yeah, it was to be expected. I, I wasn't, I generally wasn't hoping for anything different because I knew that was not going to happen. Um, but you know, one thing I really like about Imola, first of all, is like qualifying. Honestly, I think that there are some tracks that are just much better suited for qualifying action and the qualifying action is amazing. And then the racing, not so much. And on that instance, I absolutely love Imola because especially in those treacherous weather conditions, qualifying was amazing. Um, and yeah, it really, you know, pushes the driver to the limit. And there you actually see the quality of a driver. And I think that many drivers like impressed and many others were definitely like underperforming in, Im in Imola. And I think that's a big indicator of who are, you know, the Rose Hallens out there. Um, so yeah, qualifying was honestly, honestly amazing. Very, very tight. Um, and the race, of course, there have been, you know, uh, ups and downs and, you know, very low points for some drivers, for example, like Valtteri Bottas, which to be honest, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to judge him on qualifying because his lap, his lap time was cancelled and that's why he was starting solo. But to be honest, like having your lap time cancelled 
it's, it's also kind of your fault. I mean, it's not like you can blame anyone else for that. So that's definitely something to take into consideration. And also, like, honestly, the race, like, what's gotten into him? Yeah, yeah, it was a very bad race. Like, even before the, the crash, which was awful, by the way, it was such an underwhelming race from him. You know, when, when he has a seat in the best car on the grid you would expect something more from from a driver in that position yeah absolutely also because like you know up until last year he didn't really have that much competition in the sense that you know the w11 was such a dominant car that you know and it's almost as if he could have afforded a couple of mistakes and he could have afforded it not to be on the same level as Lewis because nobody was going to take that P2 away from him anyway. But this year with such, you know, a driven Max Verstappen and with a good Red Bull, to be honest, like Red Bull uh, is proving to be a very good car this year. I think he really cannot afford any slip-ups. Like it's it's become it's becoming kind of obvious and it's definitely hindering his, his chances of remaining at Mercedes for the next um, few years. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I feel like it's true this year if he shows some weaknesses, I think it's not going to be very good for him. Um, I, I think, you know, it's totally unfair to even compare him to Lewis because, you yeah. know, that, that's a completely different thing. It's a completely different planet. It's a different universe. That <laughs> <laughs> no, is true. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't compare the two. Come on. But, you know, you, you cannot even say, oh, the race uh, in Imola was not so bad from him because it, it was really bad. Yeah, I think that actually, like, in all of the, you know, underperformance that he showed this weekend, gotta say, like, that from a very cynical perspective, it was kind of lucky that the guy actually causing the incident that eventually, you know, put the end of both of their races was George Russell. And, you know, it was a racing incident in terms of, you know, responsibility, because it was, to be honest, but it was still like, you know, a misjudgment from Russell because, you know, making a mistake in those conditions definitely paid, you know, um, he paid a much bigger price for that. But I mean, as long as it wasn't a racing incident, all good, but it was still his responsibility. And also his reaction, honestly, wasn't the best. Like, I'm, I'm not calling for anything because I thought it was a very like, regular reaction caused by the adrenaline i mean at the toza honestly they're going like 300 plus kilometers per hour after having a crash like that at 300 kilometers per hour like i'm not expecting them to to walk all calmly and just shake their hands that would be ridiculous um but it was also like a pretty a pretty intense reaction and he actually apologized for that and I think that in this sense, Bottas was lucky because his closest competitor, like the immediate comparison in this instance, actually, you know, rewarded Bottas. While I think that most of the time, honestly, Russell kind of kind of impresses a bit more than him. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I was, I think everyone, honestly, was very surprised by Russell's reaction because, you know, 
on the one hand, I understand that, you know, you're full of adrenaline after a crash like that. You're probably not the calmest person in the world, but, you know, like saying that it was uh, Bottas's fault and I, I don't know, what did he do? He, he kind of slapped him. Yeah, helmet. he slapped him on the helmet. Yeah, it, it was a bit too much, to be honest. I, I can understand the adrenaline and everything, but it was, you know, it was definitely a bit too much. Yeah, it was particularly bad. Not, of course, I'm not saying that it was intentional in any way, what I'm about to say. But if you think about it, it was particularly bad because after a crash like that, like maybe Bottas could have been suffering like from a commotion or something. So slapping him on the helmet... I mean, it's it's probably not the best choice. You you see where I'm going? Like, yeah, it, it could it could have been it could have been not saying that it could have been dangerous, but it couldn't it could have been not as harmless as it honestly looks. Like in that precise circumstance. But again, like I, I'm not I'm not thinking like I'm not saying that Russell is at fault. Honestly, like. Um, I don't like when people, and you know, I'm com- we're coming to that point maybe later in in the podcast. But you know, I like to judge people also based on their track record. Like to be honest, if someone has always been a very you know polite and clean driver, and that one time in these particular circumstances they have a slip up. Like, it's, I'm honestly not going to pass the same judgment that I would on a very, like, violent and aggressive driver, like, uh-huh. the rest of the time. You know where, you already know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, so, yeah, honestly, like, George has always been, has always had a very track record, clean track record. Um, he's very well respected by his peers. He's appreciated. He's, as- he's actually been nominated as the new director of the Grand Prix Drivers Association, Marty. I, yeah. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely it's something that can happen. And I think he was right to apologize, but this should should not be held against him like any further, to be honest. No, no, absolutely. Also because he he apologized. So um, I, I think he, he kind of realized, oh, maybe that was a bit too much. Um, also because I, I feel like when, when I watched um, the, the crash and saw George get out of the car, I feel like he was, I don't know, he was much more present to himself than uh, Bottas was. Because yeah. Because yeah, he took yeah. ages to get out of the car. And, you, you know, at, at the first, uh, you know, uh, at the first glance, it wasn't moving uh, at the beginning. So you were like, oh, my God, please, no. Yeah, I was actually scared. Like, for, for a couple of seconds there, I was generally yeah. scared. Yeah, and he was totally shook um, by, by the crash. And so, you know, you know, going at him and um slapping him on the helmet uh you know uh, you you may want to think about that twice yeah exactly and honestly like I, I was definitely a bit scared for like a couple of seconds there uh but later like after the race I was chatting with a friend of mine that is um working at Mercedes Formula One and basically like I, we were discussing the incident um and he told me oh yeah like they they didn't send the radio feed immediately but like we we got Valtteri immediately on the team radio feed and he told us that he was okay like immediately but he explicitly said that he was going to take like a couple of seconds more before getting out of the car because he was like really flustered like he pretty much got a shock 
So it was that much of a shock that he actually came on the radio and said like, guys, I'm fine. I just need a second to get out of the car because I cannot do that right now, which is yeah. again, understandable. Like that was a very violent impact. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Also, you know, looking at him um, with, with the marshals uh, around him and everything, he was just like there sitting on the ground, you, you know, probably yeah. not, not even thinking about anything. And, you know, poor guy, I mean, it was a very, very bad crash. So yeah, I, I understand that, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, coming back to, to the discourse we were having about track record, um, of course, uh, you know, there has been like an, a, a, definitely a record per se, which is both Haas cars finishing the race this time. Crazy, wow. right? <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, no, honestly, guys, um, I mean, we've discussed uh, the Mazepin case um, enough in this in this podcast. But, you know, one thing that is kind of popping up in these couple of races um, is people going like, oh, yeah, like you hold Nikita Mazepin to such a different standard than you hold Mick Schumacher. And like every time I just don't under understand this kind of counter argument because you're there like, of course, I'm going to, you know, hold them to a different standard than one another. You know, on one side, we have an incredibly clean driver that has won actually championships. And on the other side, you have an incredibly aggressive and straight up violent in the paddock driver that hasn't want anything to grant his place in Formula One as of now. So you really think they're going to be treated as equals? Like, you cannot expect that. No, absolutely. You know, you, you cannot. You just cannot because apart from track record, because, you know, some people may not know single thing about Mazepin uh you know before actually watching a race uh he's racing in but you know it, it literally just takes I don't know 15 seconds to 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 look at him and how he, he behaves on track and know that well he's kind of an aggressive driver and you know it's not just that he is an aggressive driver because being an aggressive driver is fine but it's fine when you do that maybe taking care of the regulations a bit um which is something he fails to do pretty often yeah um, consistently i would say yeah so <laughs> you know of <laughs> course he's not i mean he, yeah he, he hasn't got a very high spot in in my i don't know top 10 uh <laughs> <laughs> driver parade yeah definitely yeah. have you noticed that he actually broke the gentleman's agreement on qualifying again yeah. on saturday and yeah. that was that was also like ridiculously counterproductive because not only like he butchered antonio's run uh for q2 like he also butchered his own so yeah, that was just totally a stupid thing stupid. to do yeah it was totally stupid and he is anything but a gentleman, so uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it kind of tells you everything you need to know about yeah, him. Yeah, like, yeah, honestly, no wonder that he breaks the gentleman agreement. I think he just doesn't believe it applies to himself, like, he doesn't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my god. No, but yeah, to be honest, like, I, I can't even hold that much accountability to make for, like, making mistakes uh first of all in imola in those conditions like in general and secondly with the house with which honestly like 
I think it's a pretty undrivable car as it is right yeah. now. Yeah, also because, you know, we, we gotta give something to Mazepin. Like, he's most definitely not Formula One material, but he's not like a, an idiot behind the wheel. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a very, he's not a clean driver. He's a very aggressive driver, but he does know how to drive a car. Like in Formula Two, he wasn't all that impressive, but he could kind of hold up his own. So I, I, I refuse to believe that this guy is just incapable of driving a Formula One car. I'm not saying that he's necessarily good, but he's not incapable. I think that the Haas right now is just a pain for everybody behind the the wheel. Yeah, it's you can see that from you know classifyings, etc. It's clear that it's not going too well. You know, it's not the driver's fault. I think in this case, it's just. The car is what it is and they have to deal with it. Yeah, it's honestly a, a pity because like um, I, I, I pretty much liked the, the story of Team Haas in Formula One. I think it's a it's a very it's a very nice story. Uh, they they kind of, you know, started from the bottom and they've had, you know, very impressive, you know, uh, results in, in the past couple of years. We had amazing qualifying performances by both Kevin Magnus and Roman Grosjean. And to be honest, like, I don't think that Formula One can afford to lose a team. So honestly, like, you know, I can kind of put myself in their shoes, like think whatever keeps the boat afloat, we're, go- we're gonna we're gonna go with, which, which kind of makes sense also, because to be honest, like, so many, many people's livelihoods also depend on a Formula One team. So I, I can't bash them for not, you know, for accepting some some kind of money or, you know, for putting together, a, you know, a not so great performance, but just whatever keeps the car on track, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I think we shouldn't hold that against them. Like their, their time will come. Hopefully they won't leave the sport. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Totally. But actually, Martin, let's talk a bit about GT because I remember that in the last podcast we were like, okay, we're going to discuss GT at a, at a later moment because it was too late already. Um, but yeah, <laughs> finally, the GT World Challenge season has started. Yeah. Yeah. Were you actually able to, to watch a bit of the race or not? Absolutely not because. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, the, the past week has been kind of a roller coaster for me. So. I haven't been able to to watch a single session, you know, a single minute of GT racing, which is something I'm very sad about, but that's <laughs> it. Um, you know, I was only able to, to catch up with uh, the Imola Grand Prix, like on Monday night. So that, yeah. that should tell you something. Busy bees, busy bees we are. No, to be honest, actually, the, the race in Monza was, was pretty much as insane as the race in Imola. Like, gotta say that, because it was raining in Monza as well, Martin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there were plenty of safety cars and full course yellows. And actually, there, there were a couple of problems, like very, very weird stuff happening with the tires. Like, it was pretty much insane. Like, at some point, like at the midway point through the race, Basically, like, 10 cars or, like, 15 cars, I can't even remember how many, but, you know, lots of them, um, punctured their tires. Like, it was the same tire for all of them. Oh it, was the, it was the... the um, 
I think it was the left rear or, or the left front, I can't remember. Um, but basically, yeah, like many cars, and honestly, like that was a problem also for, you know, many cars running up in front. Like some people literally lost their victory because of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, apparently it was because, you know, the, the track was very cold and also the air temp wasn't, wasn't particularly high and they were, they had, you know, just restarted after a safety car. So apparently like the tires just weren't able to, to get into the right, you know, operating window for the temperature in time. So many cars actually, you know, punctured, but it was a very dramatic moment, to be honest. And, you know, Mary dri many drivers were rightfully pissed was <laughs> what was going on. Um, I, I heard from, like, Kelvin van der Linde, which um, I think, he, like, he wasn't going for the win, but he was definitely going for the podium. And he was like, that's insane. Like, his car was completely butchered. Like, uh, the Audi was completely butchered because he, he, were, he wasn't able to, like, you know, actually the puncture happened uh, right after the pit lane exit. So basically he had to go all around Monza, no. basically on, you know, a non-existent tire. So the, the car was completely butchered. Um, but yeah, it was a very eventful race, especially because the pole sitters actually had to like retire the car after like 45 minutes. Yeah, and it was a very big deal because, to be honest, like the pole seaters were um, Mirko Bortolotti, Marco Mapelli, and Andrea Caldarelli, which no. this year, Marti, are all together on, on Lamborghini yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with FFF Racing. And yeah, honestly, like, I bet many people are like booking them to be like potential championship material because, of course, if you have a crew like that, um, it's something that is definitely plausible. And with a car like that, and they had to retire. That was that was very dramatic as well. So and I wasn't even watching the race. So yeah, I wasn't exactly. the reason they retired exactly. because apparently every time I'm watching a race, my favorite drivers have to retire. So <laughs> but that's a good thing to hear. Yeah, it wasn't your fault this time, Martina. Don't worry. Crazy. <laughs> no, and honestly, it was a it was a very a very interesting race. Also because um, a silver cup car managed to get like p3 overall they got the podium wow like, the overall podium and it was a silver car yeah it's a, a, pretty insane to be honest um i don't remember who was like chasing them down the line i think it was an audi to be honest like audi had awful pace in monza for some reason they just weren't there with the pace uh they had many issues um but yeah they just couldn't chase them down um but you know at least we still we still got you know an italian an italian driver winning in monza because uh dynamic motorsport won with porsche so matteo cairoli was on Yay. the top spot of the podium yeah i don't know have you ever met matteo martina i don't remember uh, i don't think so my memory is not so good uh but i don't think so uh no no he's honestly like a, a, very, a very very cool guy and um you know, one of, honestly, I think he is one of the best GT drivers we have in Italy right now that is yeah. active. We have so many great GT drivers in Italy, to be honest. Like, it's very, it's very hard to choose and to pick a favorite. And it's a good thing we don't have to because, yeah, it would be weird. Um, but yeah, no, very, 
there are so many good drivers coming from Italian soil in GT racing. Um, and honestly, I also saw a Bentley on track. Yeah, really? because yeah, <laughs> amazing. I was I was like extremely surprised. Honestly, I knew that you know Lazarus wasn't the only Bentley still operating in an international championship. Um, but I didn't remember the CMR actually decided to enter a Bentley into the GT World Challenge. But gotta be honest, like I think that our Bentley looks better. Like the CMR <laughs> car has a has a very ugly livery, if you ask me. Like it's not not really my thing not really my thing um but yeah no it was it was good to see them like having you know decent pace and having you know very reliable performance that was that was positive for us also because we had like winter testing in uh, in barcelona on monday and tuesday um so immediately after after monza and yeah the the car was all right i mean one of our drivers completely totaled totaled the car uh, like in the afternoon of the first day of testing so it's not like Yay. we had a second day of testing <laughs> but it, you know for the mileage we got it was good it was good <laughs> good good yeah definitely um i don't know marty i think we're pretty much done do you want to say something about MotoGP? the only thing i've heard is that mark marquez is back on track yeah yeah he's back and he oh was already God. like what p6 p7 like seven i think it was how can he even do that you know it's it's such a crazy thing to even think about i mean oh my god it was so so crazy and i'm so sorry i didn't get to watch the race live because my god I, i'm sure i would have cried so many tears yeah <laughs> I, I, i've heard that he cried a lot as well yeah. like when the race was over he like cried like a baby but it's understandable like definitely totally, yeah you, you know i i kind of feel bad about this right now because uh i've never been a massive fan of mark marcus to be honest I, yeah, as many italians i would yeah. say <laughs> yeah to be honest you know i've always acknowledged the undeniable talent because you know you can't deny that um but i honestly didn't like him as a writer and what happened like in the past uh almost a year oh my god it's been almost a year yeah. um was was such an emotional roller coaster i think for most MotoGP fans because you may not like the the big champion but when he's taken out um in such a you know, a bad and painful way. I think it kind of takes a toll on the whole sport and on, on the fans too, um, you know, let alone his fans. I, I have no idea yeah. how they got through this period. But yeah, I was, at some point, I was genuinely worried that he may never uh, return. He may not come back or, uh, you know, something like that because they, they kept saying, you know, we're gonna uh taken to the OR and have another surgery done on him and you know then there was this infection and then you know it was it was a really hard roller coaster for him I think and you know just hearing and reading about it I was really I was feeling really bad for him and I was so genuinely hoping that he, he would have been able to come back and I'm, I'm so happy he made it. I'm, I'm so happy. You know, I, I never thought I could be this happy for <laughs> Mark Marcus coming back to MotoGP, but I honestly am. Um, I think it's incredible 
he is such a talented writer oh my god and he, he deserves to be there and it's so incredible to think that after nine months not riding a, a single motorbike he is able to to go back uh p7 MotoGP and end up in seventh place what insane. the hell is that insane no honestly like i i completely get what you're saying because like you know taking it back to formula one it would be like i don't know lewis hamilton having you know a terrible accident that prevented him for you know competing for an entire season like i'm sure that at first you know some people would be like oh yeah finally we'll see like a true contention for for the world title or something like that but you know it's re it's really like the sport losing uh losing you know talent and losing a champion i mean it can make for some good entertainment for a while i guess but i think it's you know in the end is not something that you know should be should be celebrated or anything first of all because of course we're, we're talking about somebody's health but like even from a strictly sporting perspective like i don't want the best driver to not be able to compete you know what i mean yeah. um so yeah no i mean i remember that we were together when he had the accident and yeah. i gotta say and i gotta make my peace with it um i'm not like I, I was never much of an expert in formula one and we were at the beach and i remember that i was like i was not exactly celebrating but i was like oh yeah like he fell uh and you were there immediately like yeah no i would like trust me this this is a bad fall in, in MotoGP because yeah. i had no idea uh so yeah i mean we were together at the beach now that i think about it it's it's kind of it's kind of insane honestly i felt bad for being like oh he fell and being not enthusiastic about it of course but you know as many italians like we have a soft spot for valentino so we definitely hold the grudge against mark marquez even if we never watched MotoGP. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how it is that's how it is <laughs> yeah totally but yeah you know in MotoGP it it kind of happens quite often that the smallest uh crashes kind of have the biggest consequences obviously a very big crash on two wheels without protections is obviously something looking very bad from the beginning but um in that in that specific case with Marquez it was it was not a bad fall. So I, I kind of understand why you were like, oh, it crashed. But um, yeah, the, the outcome was, <laughs> was very disastrous. Bad. Yeah, um, because like you're so unprotected. Honestly, it's you versus the ground. And that's it in MotoGP. That's why they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, I'm, I think every motorsport fan who is uh, both passionate about Formula One and MotoGP is always more worried <laughs> while, uh, you know, watching a MotoGP race than a Formula One race. Uh, I certainly am, you know, because you know that when they crash, there are so many possible consequences to a rider crashing. Yeah, you know, not being protected because you're not protected. And the bad thing is that in so many occasions, on so many occasions, the, the motorbike actually becomes what hits you. And that, that's a very bad thing. That's something that yeah. doesn't happen with, uh, with cars, at least not that often. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, if you think about it, it's the same thing really like motorbikes on the road. Like motorbikes have always been more, more dangerous than... Uh 
than you know road cars so makes sense makes sense to be to be worried but you know i'm happy to see him back behind the wheel and we'll see if we if he will actually be able to like contest for the championship or not this year honestly he's so much of a superman that i wouldn't rule that out completely yeah yeah me neither um i think he he has he stands some chances let's say um i hope he can challenge for the championship at the same time i hope that he does not uh you know force himself too much or anything because He's already done that and it's not gone well. So Yeah, exactly. And also like not it's not like that. he needs another title. Like I think he's pretty he's pretty settled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's so young. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, exactly. Like he doesn't he don't, honestly doesn't need to prove anything at this point. But of no. course like his mentality w- won't ever allow him to think that of himself. But yeah, we can say that. Marty, what is your like prediction for for the MotoGP champion and then we'll leave Oh my god. Oh, I don't know. Well, I have kind of a soft spot for uh, Fabio Quartararo, but I don't know if, you know, it will be actually able to to be a contender, an actual contender, mm-hmm. because um, he usually goes well, and then he kind of starts uh, burning down. So uh, he's, I don't know. He's inconsistent. I remember the last year he was like an early contender, right? Yeah, yeah, and then everything went to shoot. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope this year can be different, but I wouldn't be disappointing. Uh, I mean, absolutely not seeing Mark Marquez uh, winning the championship. I kind of know it's almost impossible, maybe, because, you know, after such uh, a long and difficult period, I do not expect that to happen, but it would be amazing. That would be an insane comeback story. Um, yeah. With all that said, thank you so much for joining us um, this month as well, guys. Thank you for the continued support for the podcast. Uh, and as always, we'll see each other on the 27th of May. So in a month from now uh, for, you know, some more banter with Aurora and Martina, if you like that. Yeah, totally. Thank you guys for tuning in and see you in May. See you in May.